You're listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the show that talks about identity and access management and making sure you know who has access to what. Let's get started. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Oh, not so bad yourself? I'm good, man. Just hunkering down, getting ready for the storm. Um, I live in Augusta, Georgia. We are taking a direct hit. And what I think the news is here is that you now live in the South and are facing a direct hit from a hurricane. And this has got to be a first for you. It absolutely is. We're talking about what is it, uh, Hurricane Ian, I think is the name. But yes, you sent me a picture last night. Like, hey, you you know, you're in you're like in the path, like inland in Georgia. And I'm like, next in line (laughs) after it hits you. Yeah, never been through a hurricane before. So um, we'll see how that goes. I live on the side of a mountain, so I'm not necessarily worried about flooding more like storm damage maybe if there's like high winds and trees and stuff like that so yeah yeah you're probably gonna have a few trees go down you'll probably get a lot of rain but it's one of those deals like we've got a lot of nerve like complaining about it because maybe some of our grass will get washed out and other people are having their houses destroyed but how dare it yeah well you know the insolence of hurricane ian (laughs) yeah for sure for sure so um i had another thought recently so you, you and i have known each other for a long time in our glory days, we did um, strategic IEM advisory together, and I know you're familiar with the term stump the chump, and yep. I'm wondering, what does stump the chump mean to you? Well, I mean, it's you're basically asking hard questions, trying to stump whoever is on the spot trying to answer those questions. Good answer. For, for whatever reason. It's almost like, uh, I don't know, I don't remember the name of the game, but it's kind of like you... You throw the football up in the air, and then everyone tries to tries to tackle that person, whoever catches it, and that person tries to run away. It's almost like tag, but a, a safer version of that, probably. <laughs> yeah. No, but when you're in the moment, if you don't have a good answer, it doesn't feel good. But I'm wondering, have you ever received the stump the chump question? Of, uh, it goes something like this. Privilege access management, does it include social media accounts? So this is one of my favorite questions because I have advocated that it does for years now. Um, I think, you know, if you historically kind of look at the space of privilege access management, it's been like, oh, yeah, it's our server accounts or it's like our database or whatever it may be. And I've argued, I think, for the last couple of years, I know you I know you know this because you and I have been in the same room <laughs> you know, when we're talking with clients. It's like, OK, how about your social media accounts? How are you managing Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, whatever the uh, TikTok, I guess, at, now at this point, it probably be, you know, one of the major ones. Um, how are you protecting those accounts? Because those are absolutely privileged and a lot of damage can be done, you know, reputation wise, especially, you know, if you have the wrong people posting and I've worked for companies who have had that issue, uh, in the past. And, uh, it is something that is an unfortunate truth of the real world. Yeah, no, you're right. And, um, I think that one thing that my, the maturation of my thinking about social media accounts, of course, they're, they're important because, look at the results when um, when something happens, when they're compromised. But I also think within the scope of the social media account is really like third-party applications. So in my experience, like almost every organization has a ton of third-party applications that they use. And by convenience or just because they don't have a better solution, they end up managing those passwords by sharing them emailing them to each other, mm-hmm. things like that. And it's obviously then you have all the the same problems that you would run into from an IAM perspective with every other type of privilege access 
you know, how do you how do you change it so that the person who left can't use it anymore? Well, especially if you have like those OAuth tokens, right? That you probably granted like 10 years ago to like services and you just never <laughs> cleared them out. Uh, I, I'm guilty of that, you know, as my my multiple devices and me testing out things all the time. I'm constantly having to go into, you know, my identity provider, identity providers and clear out old devices, Microsoft, Google, right? Stuff like that. Android phone. Oh, that was last week. I'm on iPhone now. <laughs> you know, and then the next week it'll be different. So it's it's a similar, I think, you know, problem is a lot of these services will give you that, you know, that integration, and then you kind of forget about it. And it means something still has access to your account. You got to be careful. Now, do you, are you do you take when you go from Android to iPhone and back, um, do you take the same SIM card or SIM cards? able to go from phone to phone across platform? Well, yes, you used to be able to do that. Um, you typically can take your SIM and just swap it into a new phone, and then you you know log in with your credentials and everything kind of comes download from the cloud. cloud. At least that's how I do it. I just do it so often. The new iPhone, though, has an eSIM, which means there's no longer a physical SIM, at least on US models. So now everyone who's on the new iPhone 14 is leveraging eSIM, which is probably the future. I am a little concerned about me liking to switch devices. so. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm going to try out, you know, my uh, an Android phone here at some point. If I want, if I have, I can't just swap my SIM card into it. So that's something I've got to kind of read up on. But uh, it seems like US iPhone users who have the new 14 are going to experience the the joys of eSIM for oh, the first be time, even though it's a standard that's been around. Yeah, for Yeah, next time we get uh, Roger Grimes on the show, we'll have to ask him about the eSIM and does this open up new opportunity for. SIM swapping attacks. It's supposed to reduce it to some degree because uh, I don't want I don't want to claim it on that, that it reduces it, but I think it theoretically will help with it. Um, it's funny you mentioned SIM swapping because Cloudflare just uh, announced. I think it's Cloudflare um, some service around eSIM uh, and being able to kind of track and help secure that from like an MDM perspective. I don't know how good it is. It's not a, definitely not a plug for them, <laughs> but it, it just it happened to kind of come across my feed in the last couple of days, so it was kind of interesting. Yeah, you always that. want to keep an eye on that news coming across. I mean, other elsewhere in the news, my birthday is October fourth. Uh, you're celebrating my birthday by going to Austin and the South Point Navigate Conference and leaving me behind. I, you know, I do love uh, a good Tex-Mex. Um, you know, <laughs> the food trucks. That's like my thing. But I'm glad for you that you're going. And uh, honestly, on my birthday, I probably actually wouldn't want to go on a business trip. Yeah, you're probably right. So you're welcome. I'll take the hit on that one. First time going to Sailpoint Navigate, so it'll be interesting. I'm sure I'll see a bunch of you know familiar faces and kind of connect with old identity friends and things like that. But yeah, it'll be interesting. So I'll be at I'll be by the time people are listening to this, I'll be at in Austin at Sailpoint Navigate that week. And then you and I are going to uh, the Authenticate 2022 conference in Seattle put on by the FIDO Alliance. That's the week of October 17th. And we're hoping to put together some good content there, similar to what we did for Gartner with uh, recording with some guests and uh, um, putting out uh, a bunch of shows. I'm not sure if we'll have two full weeks worth. Um, that was a lot. Uh, but we should have you know more than a handful of episodes to put out in a timely manner, hopefully, around yeah, that time. Yeah, it'd be good to be able to actually sit through some of the sessions because they look really interesting and um, yeah, but I do think we're going to wind up having quite a few episodes because it's too good of an opportunity to connect with all those people who are speaking. I guess last but not least, we're going to Octane in San Francisco. That's the week of November 7th. Again, we're 
we're hoping to uh, get our podcast on and meet with a bunch of people who are going to be at the conference. That'll be my first Octane, too. So uh, it's a little bit different kind of uh, leading a practice, doing more of the business development <laughs> partnership stuff. Uh, but I'm enjoying it. I think it's I think it's I think it's a cool opportunity. So, um, yeah, it's it could be fun. And it, it's funny you bring up the ability to meet things. So today we're going to uh, I guess let's just pivot. Right. Let's just get right into our, our sort of topic du jour. And we let off with the social media conversation around accounts and kind of managing access. And that's really what we're going to talk about for the most part today is managing social media account access, right? Shared accounts or maybe delegated administration, sort of things like that. And one of the, and the individual we're going to have on here, I was not able to meet at Gartner because you had me stuck in a, in a sweet, sweet, as you like to say, Jim, editing podcast. But you guys are able to connect there. I'm hopeful that we'll connect that at Octane. Uh, but he is certainly an individual passionate about shared passwords. We've got Kurt Greening with Serby. Welcome to the show, Kurt. Thanks for the invite. Happy to be here. Yeah. So um, we have tradition around here. The first time anyone joins us uh, for the first time is we like to find a little bit out about their identity background or maybe their infosec background and really kind of find out how did you get into this space? Is this something that uh, you chose or did it choose you? That's a great question. So I started by career trying to take a CD-ROM server and put it on a network. So first the Novell network, later Active Directory. Uh, after that, I played around with Microsoft Exchange and hated backup and recovery of Microsoft Exchange. And so the desire to get Exchange online is really you know, migrating to Office 365. That's what got me really into identity. So I had to learn a little bit about something you know, called Active Directory Federation Services at first and later Azure Active Directory Premium. So that's really what uh, got me um, more into identity. Oh, yes. So I, you're, from the you're from the trenches. Uh, I, Jim, I, what CD-ROM server. I mean, I, I've got to know more about the CD-ROM <laughs> server. Lay it on us. Yeah. So uh, back in the day... If you were a supply sergeant in the military, one of the biggest use cases was you had from the Defense Logistics Agency national stock numbers and everything that you ordered from boots to sleeping bags were in this national stock number catalog. And so military really needed to have these CD-ROM servers and the supply sergeants wanted to start putting them on networks. So that's what, that's what got me into... Novell first and and Active Directory after. And now you're with Serby. I'll, I'll admit I'm not overly familiar with Serby. So when we first started to talk about this, I was interesting because they thought, okay, well, here's here's potentially something that might solve some problems for some folks. I guess we don't want to turn this into a commercial for Serby, but give us a 30 second, you know, maybe at most 60 second answer of you know, what does Serby do? So uh, what Serby does is solve the challenge of applications that can't integrate with corporate single sign-on. Typically, that's because they don't support identity standards. I'm talking primarily about SAML and uh, SKIM. And of course, you know, challenges that we end up with is not knowing who has access to what, you know, not having automated onboarding and offboarding. Certainly, that's a challenge. And then who knows in those environments if password best practices are being, being followed. So, Kurt, the topic for today is social media accounts. And uh, we all know that organizations face the challenge of managing social media accounts. And I think probably the biggest challenge is 
that they're accessed by more than one person. So what's the right way to manage and secure those? Yeah, I think it really depends on the size of your organization. Uh, if you're a really small organization and one or two people are, are managing those, I think that there are some best practices that can be followed. Uh, maybe using a password manager. My, my friend Matt Chioti actually has a uh, social media checklist of, of things that he recommends people do. So, I mean, if you're small, you can absolutely follow those best practices manually. Uh, if you start to get big and you have a big brand or you're advertising on social media, that's where you might want to start looking at do you need some type of automation and central management. Yeah, you talked to us and when we were getting ready for the, the podcast, you talked to us a little bit about Matt and kind of his uh, social media checklist. So we'll make sure that we, we put that link out to that in our, in our show notes so if people are interested in kind of taking a look. But you also kind of talked to me about something that I wasn't really aware, which is that, hey, there are different types of accounts when you look at this social media landscape. So you got the type like Twitter, which is essentially like a shared password. Then you've got the Facebooks and login and LinkedIn's of the world where you've got kind of a corporate account and people connect with their, I think it's like their personal accounts and somehow are allowed to administer or switch contacts into the corporate account. Maybe talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So you're, you're correct. There are two uh, access models that I primarily see out there from social media. So that shared password, Twitter is absolutely a great example of that. And not only do you need to make sure that you understand what's going on from the shared password, but you know how are you going to share the mechanisms for multi-factor authentication? And then with things like Facebook and LinkedIn, the main concern is how do I map a personal identity uh, back to a corporate identity so that when you know Jeff or Jim uh, leave RSM, how do we take away their access to Facebook Business Manager and one, make sure they don't do anything bad, but two, take away the risk that if their personal account gets hacked, some kind of fraud happens with our ad spend accounts. Well, you've done a good job, I think, of not selling your own book of business. And I, we do appreciate that. But I think at the same time, we do want to talk a little bit about the technology solution. So if you are a, like a mid-sized to a large enterprise and you've got maybe a couple of Twitter accounts and maybe, maybe you're a big media company or a sports league and you've got you know a couple of accounts or one main account, and multiple people have to be hitting it and have the ability to post to that account. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about what technologies out there to make it so that I can manage that in a better way. Treat that like the privilege access credentials that I think Jeff and I agree that they are. Yeah. So I mean, we're on an identity show. I imagine that the people listening believe that single sign-on is probably the best security investment that anybody could make. And so personally, my belief is all of those applications that are in use on a corporate network, even consumer-grade applications like social media, 
should be integrated with single sign-up. But I think I mentioned that the challenge or, or why people aren't doing that today is lack of standard support of sandalwood skin. I know many big companies have tried to pressure social media companies into supporting these things. And, you know, I hear it's on the roadmap, but I also hear it gets delayed. Uh, so uh, how do you solve that challenge? Um, there's a couple of bright guys um, that uh, came up with an idea to use robotic process automation to create APIs where APIs don't exist, and then where APIs do exist to do things like rotate passwords um, or remove access, et cetera, um, certainly uh, we want to use those APIs. But in some cases, the, the really the big challenge and why this has never been solved is not having an API. Uh, and I think the best answer I've ever seen is to use robotic process automation to create those. Yeah, that's really exist. cool. That's uh, I, I wouldn't say that is the answer that um, first came to mind. I mean, the RPA pieces makes a lot of sense, though. And I'm kind of also thinking of more or less the traditional IAM tool. So you kind of mentioned single sign-on, but we've also got you know privilege access management, IGA. I'm wondering if, like, for the IAM practitioners out there who – this isn't the main problem they're trying to solve, but it's one of the use cases. Can they leverage their investments in PAM, SSO, IGA, or is this like a new problem that requires a new tool, or is this somewhere in between? Yeah, I mean, uh, great question. Uh, and so, yes, there are some customers out there that happen to be using Serby that have decided that they don't want Serby which is a cloud-based platform to store the secrets. And they want to store the secrets someplace else. So that could be a PAM solution. That could be an AWS as a secrets management uh, solution. And most people that we have talked to, if they do have a PAM solution rolled out, they at least go through the thought process to evaluate, should we be using PAM to manage social media? Uh, but anybody who's actually tried that, they realize that the PAM solutions are missing a bunch of automations that are specific to uh, social media. So certainly that's a challenge. And then I don't know if you've ever met anybody from marketing. Um, they're not usually the most technical. So, you know, although PAM solutions are incredible for administrators, uh, I don't recommend them for an, a, a um, social media person. I think it's kind of almost like the the lowest common denominator at that point. If it's probably better than nothing, <laughs> but the usability is probably suspect. I, I think at best, the way that I kind of think about it is if you if you're using if you if you are lucky enough, first of all, to have a dedicated PAM solution, then most likely just a simple password vault is probably all you're going to really kind of going to be able to get away with to store those credentials. It's no different really than, you know, somebody having like a, a shared password wallet, like a LastPass or a Bitwarden or anything like that. All you're really doing is kind of storing the ID and password in one spot, but you can't really do anything with it to head off potential concerns. It almost becomes like a race where, you know, if someone has access to <laughs> the social media credentials and they should no longer have access to it. You need to beat them to the punch to change the passwords and other sort of, you know, claiming uh, 
parameters around the account before something bad happens. So I can kind of see the low tech solution, you know, the lowest tech is, well, it's on a sticky note and, you know, you just kind of pass it around the office, which uh, not good. Uh, and then, you know, maybe you digitize a sticky note and put it inside of a spreadsheet or, you know, maybe in sort of a password vault or something like that. But I do think the RPA angle is is interesting from a proactive measure, especially this idea of creating sort of leverage points from an API perspective to do some security, which I th- it's it, it's what piques my interest when I started, you know, to kind of read up and, and kind of see how how this thing works. But I'm curious from your perspective, you've got to have some, you know, horror stories around what some people might have done with, um, you know, breached or misused credentials, maybe in the, in the social media world. Um, I certainly have a couple from from prior uh, uh, engagements in my life <laughs> that that I probably am not at liberty to talk about, but the risk is real. And I'm curious if, you, if there's anything you could share from, you know, what are some of those risks around getting hacked? We mentioned the reputation, but um, certainly there's other things that, that I'm not thinking of uh, offhand here. I mean, uh, Port Disney, uh, they've been hacked, I believe, twice in the last 12 months. Um, one was Twitter. Uh, I think an Elon Musk impersonator uh, took over their Twitter. Uh, the other one was posting, you know, racial and homophobic slurs. So not not great for the old uh, old image, right? That's a that's a negative one. Um, and, and brand risk, you know, it's not easy to quantify exactly, but the bigger the brand, the bigger the risk, right? Um, but there are some things that are easy to quantify, like um, ad spend fraud. So I'll give you the Facebook example. We have a customer that bought Serbi after they had an employee leave, uh, that employee still had access to Facebook and other business managers via their personal accounts. So nobody took away their access. Social media was hacked and a hundred million dollars was spent fraudulently on those ad spend accounts. So uh, that's pretty easy to, to quantify. So one of the things I typically talk to uh, CISOs about or identity and access management professor, professionals who are saying, I, I don't know if this really should be in my domain. I usually say, well, have your GRC team just go ask and say, you know, what's your daily spend limit uh, on your ad spend credit accounts, right? And then I guess thirdly, that the, the the scariest one that I've seen was a about three months ago, a Brazilian retailer fast shop uh, there was a combination of a ransomware attack and then taking over Twitter and publishing uh, new customer data, I think hourly until they paid the ransom. So that was a kind of a scary combo attack, I guess. So for people who aren't familiar with this ad spend fraud, can you kind of give us the 101 on what that is for people who maybe just haven't really had that exposure yet within the social media world? Yeah, I mean... The idea of marketing via social media, right? I mean, I think everybody, you know, has seen brand influencers and that type of thing. If you've got kids, right, everybody wants to be a YouTube star, right? Or uh, Instagram or, or whatever, or, or I guess uh, probably it's TikTok, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> right? Yep. Uh, but, but the idea of ad spend is typically boosting maybe your influencers, making more people uh, see it. And, uh, so you, you know, you have a credit line pretty much like you have a credit card 
and that can be used to promote your stuff or that can be used to, you know, waste your money. So if let's say my account does get breached, um, what are some of the things that I can do to sort of mitigate or I guess reduce, um, you know, what are my next steps essentially? I don't know if you have insight into sort of like an incident management plan, you know, obviously you probably want to delete <laughs> tweets that, that, uh, that probably shouldn't be there, but what are other things that I can do sort of, or start think about to, to manage that? Yeah. I mean, hopefully you've done a tabletop exercise on this, right? You have a plan in place. Um, but yes, quickly, uh, deleting any of the comments is the best thing, but we, we know today that, uh, First thing that kids do is screenshot things and take videos of, of anything that's up there. So if it's you know up there for 10 seconds, chances are it's replicated on a hundred different social channels. So that's a negative. And you know, if you have a big brand, you, you better have a good PR agency, crisis management, be ready to reach out to all the different uh, news stations with you know an official statement. You know, hopefully you, you can quickly talk about this is how it happened. You know, this is what we're doing to be responsible, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Cause that, you know, nobody wants to buy from a company that they think, well, they didn't even try and they don't seem to care. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't condone blah, blah, blah. We're taking stuff to secure. Right. I think if you've been in the business, you've probably seen a number of these sort of, you know, breach emails or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I was going to add to that also. I think that. You know the the um, the quick reaction might be, oh, we just we just need to go out and delete that tweet. You know, Kurt, I'm I'm kind of wondering what your perspective on that is. Is like, should you delete the tweet with the slurs, or do you leave it there and and post an apology, or or how how do you see that getting handled? Yeah, I, I've never seen anybody leave it there, um, but what I typically have seen is that there are screenshots and articles and on the news. So that's usually your chance to comment on what was there. But, uh, you know, my personal, I'm not a PR expert, I'm a security guy, but I, I would say delete it if you can as quickly as possible. Own it, I guess, would be the other alternative. And I don't know many brands that would survive owning uh, controversial content like that. Um, one thing that I am always fascinated by is this concept of deep fakes. Um, I, I love the idea for, for the memes that I can potentially generate, uh, the animated gifts that I could certainly, uh, get some friends with, but I think this is also an area where, um, you know, it is starting to sort of invade, uh, the internet at large and becoming much easier for people to do. I'm curious if you've seen things around that space, around some of the more advanced, maybe, uh, types of either attacks or, the results of some of the attacks where maybe there's, you know, I can think of like, you know, the, a deep fake of a, a CEO doing things they're not supposed to be doing, right? And that gets posted. I'm, I'm curious if you have any experience with that. Well, I haven't actually seen that happen in a corporate environment yet, but I am working with a big New York financial institution and uh, they have social media flagged as a risk exception and they uh, have a goal by the end of the year to eliminate those risk exceptions. And, you know, one of the risks that they certainly looked at is the management of their CEO's account. And if something like that was to be posted, a deep fake or something else, what they would expect the, the potential impact to be to their stock. And so, you know, in the management of his account alone, um, that's where they see enormous risk to 
people potentially shorting the stock if something uh, was to happen. So, Kurt, we kind of kicked off and I, I threw this thought out there, which was that social media accounts and third party accounts to me are, they have a very similar use case in that usually there's a small number of accounts, small number of users, and it's something that IT departments traditionally said, all right, we've got bigger fish to fry. However, some of these applications have a lot of risk and the sharing of the password can actually multiply the number of actual users. But, you know, for whatever reason, the businesses said, we're just going to get one account. Maybe it's because that third party vendor only allows you to have one account. You know, uh, the typical um, use case that I think of in this space, because I've run into it a lot myself, is an accounting department that has access to a bank account. So maybe that bank account's a, a well-known bank and you can only open, you know, one user account um, to access that bank account. And so they share the password. Now, obviously, I mean, the risk of that account seems pretty obvious, um, but because it's like one account, usually IT won't manage it. I'm wondering, you know, do you see this as well? Do you see this falling into that same scope? And do you have any... Similar examples? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it does. Um, Jim, you seem like the kind of guy that cleans your own carpets. Is that maybe, right? Maybe once or twice. Great. So uh, you probably have been into a, a store. I think you said you're down in the south. So maybe into a, a, a Publix or a, you know one of the Albertsons brands to, to rent a rug doctor. Uh, but... You, you probably will be disappointed as an identity professional to find out that most stores share one password for the rug doctor rec rental application amongst the whole store. Uh, so that's how that happens. Um, so that's one example. Um, you also tend to think of, you know, federal government, you know, they're pretty secure, right? You know, purveyors of zero trust and you know, how do you do zero trust? Well, well, hopefully, right, you know who everybody is. Like, that's like one of the first steps in, in zero trust and what they have access to. But you might be surprised that some pretty critical financial reporting, critical infrastructure reporting, uh, there's some shared passwords there. Uh, and uh, that's yeah, I mean, when you too. think about it, it's just like, now my brain is running wild with all the different scenarios. There's probably dozens or hundreds of scenarios like this in a large corporation. Yeah. I mean, uh, I know of at least 10 corporations that have more than a thousand of these. There's, there's also the apps that kind of sit on the line. So I was mentioning like accounts, like bank accounts, utilities, things like that. We know that we started off the conversation talking about social media. And then there's kind of these intermediaries like marketing platforms where again, that risk kind of, reaches back to, um, you know, potential reputation risk where, hey, if that, that system got compromised, forget the tweet that someone could post and, you know, all the social media or all the traditional media picks up on it, but you can delete that. What if you send out a million emails? <laughs> what if that person gets on and sends out a million emails full of content that you don't want? sent out to all of your customers. So um, I think these yeah. third-party platforms, I think as IAM practitioners, we need to have a shift in terms of not thinking about their importance just in terms of 
number of users, but really also understanding what is the risk and including that kind of reputational risk to to that big picture. Jim, what about that uh, mailing application that you probably integrated with your CRM system? And so when the mail spamming system gets hacked, it's got access to everything in your CRM or maybe a lot in your CRM, you know, or think about the cascading risk because all these systems typically are connected. Right. So, so is really the answer then that, you know, in terms of how you should manage this to leverage your IAM platforms like your single sign-on, MFA, you know, your IGA platform, uh, or is there more to it than that? You know, I, I think I said this before and I'll say it again. My personal belief is any application that is in use for uh, corporate use, even if it's a consumer-grade application, in my opinion, should be integrated with single sign-on. That's that's my very strong belief. And I'll, I'll hit you with this one last question. So where does the buck stop? Who's responsible for this? Is it you know, IT information security or is it the owners of the applications? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Responsible, right? I mean, I, I guess, right, the application owner bears responsibility. But I, I guess I'll ask you, uh, Jim, if, if there there is a, a breach of credentials, who typically gets fired? Is it the application owner? I, I don't think so. I mean, in my experience, it's the CISO. It's somebody who works for the CISO. Um, ultimately, the board holds them responsible for any type of, of breach. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess, you know, in my opinion, yes, you know, does the responsibility really the application or yes, but I think uh, in terms of who's going to be yeah, in no, trouble. No, I think, I think that's a point well taken. It's interesting as you were saying that, it, my mind immediately went to, well, you know, we have to know that these applications are in use, right? that we have these accounts. Some of it, though, is kind of obvious, right? You should know the right questions to ask. Do we have a Twitter? Do we have a Facebook? Do we have a LinkedIn? Uh, do we have marketing platforms? There are all of these things that we need to control. But then you mentioned the rug doctor, utilities, and things like that. So I know there are some technologies that can help you discover what applications are being used. I think you have to bake it into your policies that, you know, if there's, you're not, you know, even if they're not IT systems that we can control, but if they are accounts that belong to the company, that password sharing is prohibited. If an exception needs to be granted, here's the exception policy. That exception policy will make us aware as information security professionals that there's this password sharing going on. Now it's the balls in our court, right? We can either, you know, allow the exception because we don't have the resources to address it, or we can address the ex exception by managing that account. But I think you're right. The buck stops on like, you know, if someone goes out to your Twitter account or your, sends out those million emails, like who's going to be in trouble? Ultimately, it's probably going to go back to your information security lead. Well, I think option A is certainly manual compensating controls. And you can sit down and tell your users what that would look like. 
Or you could say there is an automated way. If you prefer, we can pursue both. I think there's two things that really struck me about this last kind of back and forth was the importance of an inventory of understanding what are all the thing assets that we need to protect. And then two, what is the role of the IAM program or information security or whatever the you know the 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 name of the department is that's supposed to be in charge of maybe not necessarily securing it, but providing advice to the organization on what they should be doing uh, to be that you know counselor right to the internal side of things, that internal consultant that says, hey, you know, we maybe we don't own the mo- the social media accounts, but here are the things that you need to be thinking about as the owner of those accounts and how you're going to protect the company, you know, from a risk standpoint or whatever it may be. So I think, I think both of those things kind of fundamentally strike to is what type of information security organization or IAM program is in place. Are you consulting on it or, you know, are you kind of more removed from it? I think that's important. Yeah, Jeff, I think the secure way needs to be the easiest way. Uh, I think that's the job of security professionals. Sure, we can educate, uh, but people who are trying to make money in a business are going to take the path of least resistance. So we've got to be creative and make security easy. I like that. Make it make security. The, the easier thing is, the better compliance you'll have. That certainly is is definitely a winning strategy. Um, all right, we've waxed poetic here about sort of the importance of of security, and now it's time to get, as I like to say, what I've started to say is like it's time to get stupid towards the end, <laughs> uh, and sort of end on a lighter note. And we usually have a couple of different things, and we let our our guests kind of choose. Um, we might go through a couple here, but here's my lighter note for both of you, because, and I will say that this question stems from a conversation that took place on one of my favorites. I don't know if it's really a radio show at this point, but Bennington on Sirius XM. I'm a big fan of those of, of, of that show. And they were talking about um, the way that people put on their socks and shoes. And I was surprised to hear that there was that there was more than one way to do this. And so here's my question for both of you. We'll start with Kurt and then we'll go to Jim. Is how do you put your socks and shoes on? Is it sock, sock, and then shoe, shoe? Or do you do sock shoe, then the other sock and the other shoe? Yeah, definitely uh, both socks first and then the shoes. I, I just feel more accomplished if I get, you know, one thing done and check it off. Yeah. I mean, Jim, I, about yourself? I don't think I've ever gone sock shoe, sock shoe. So I'm with Kurt on that. But I will also tell you that I'm just like everybody else. I put my pants on one leg at a time. But after, I, after my pants, pants are on, I make... <laughs> Podcasts, gold, yes. podcast. gold, gold podcasts. So I'm the same way. I, I would say I'm typically a sock, sock, shoe, shoe. But one of the interesting wrinkles that I heard was athletes. They tend to do sock, shoe, then sock, and then shoe because they need the exact perfect sort of setup for either stability or safety or just, you know, maybe it's just part of their routine, right? Lock, whatever it may be. And it seemed to be like that was like the one thing that was kind of out there was if you're an athlete, you tend to put your sock and shoe on on one side and then do the other one. So I, I don't know. I guess the next time you're putting your socks and shoes on, you're probably going to be self-conscious about it. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, Because I think a lot of people are just kind of on autopilot at that point. All right. So that was one. Let's go to another one. Um, this is one that I've been trying to get in for the last few weeks. And this is a situation that is going to occur to you for the rest of your life. 
It's going to happen at random times. It may not be severe. It might be annoying, uh, but it, it is something that you can expect will occur repeatedly over the rest of your life. And that is one of these things is going to happen and you have to choose. You're going to randomly cough, randomly sneeze, or randomly have a bout of the hiccups. Kurt, what's your poison? Um, I'm going to have to go with the coughing and maybe this will get a little bit too personal health wise, but unfortunately I already have a little bit of asthma. And so that, that kind of is my life. Um, so I'm, I'm used to it and I'm, I'm still hmm. kicking. It's no big well, one for you. What about you, Jim? Almost had to cancel episodes of this podcast due to my hiccuping, right? <laughs> so I've been waiting for you to, to use this question <laughs> yep. too, because that one, I will never pick that one. <laughs> I would never, I'd rather, you know, randomly faint than have the hiccups all the time. Um, <laughs> I do not like coughing. I've never enjoyed coughing. But sometimes sneezing feels good to me. I mean, I don't know. I'm a little weird, but I, I have what they call uh, photosynthetic a sneezing. Like if you like, if I look up at the sun oh, yeah, yeah, or at, the at a light, I can make yeah. myself sneeze. Sometimes I just do it because I feel like sneezing. So I, I choose sneezing. I'm, I'm weird. Yeah, hiccups are painful. At least they can be. I don't know if I would, I would want that. I guess I would go with the cough because I feel like that's probably something that's more easier to manage for some reason. Um, I don't know. I mean, none of them sound great. <laughs> so it's really not a way that you want to live. But um, yeah, I guess I I'll go with cough. I have a question for you, though. So, so uh, yes. with the sneezing, I think you yeah. can manage it. But it reminded me of... When I was a kid, my dad would carry a handkerchief with him everywhere. And nobody does that mm -hmm. anymore, I don't think. But I always thought it was very unsanitary. But I think if I sneezed all the time, I would probably do that because, you, you know, tissues wear out. But there's handkerchiefs you could keep on using. <laughs> yeah. Now, and now, keep, Jim, and did you ever see your dad give a crying woman his <laughs> handkerchief? I, I've seen that in the movies, and I've always wondered... Why will this woman touch yeah, this yeah. nasty handkerchief really from some dead? Uh, no, I never saw my dad do that. What he would do is lick it and then like wipe like dried ketchup off my face if I got done eating a, a hot dog or something. And I was like, oh, dad, stop doing that. You know, anyway, that was the trauma <laughs> from my childhood. All right. Well, we don't want to relive that. But yeah, a handkerchief sounds gross, especially if, you know, when's the last time it was cleaned. But yeah, way to, let's, way to end on a positive side. Uh, gross, uh, unsanitary handkerchiefs. Uh, that's why people listen to the Identity at the Center podcast is to get that that hard-hitting uh, content right there. Um, all right, we're going to wrap it up for this week. But before we go, any final thoughts, uh, Kurt, that people should be taking away from this conversation around anything that we talked about, uh, you know, managing social media accounts, sort of the shared account, delegate account type thing, uh, or will they be you know checking out how they're putting their socks and shoes on? You know, I definitely people should be thinking about the socks and shoes thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, this is an identity uh, podcast. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, we've got to take this seriously. Uh, you know, we've got responsibility as professionals for the organizations that we work uh, for. And, you know, if, if there is a solution, uh, then I think, you know, we need to be evaluating everything that's out there to make things, like I said, make it easy. Uh, if the easy way is the secure way, then it's going to be secure. Use all the tools in the toolbox. Jim, yeah, how about yourself? So I, um, I did a webinar with Mike Engel from One Cosmos last week, and we talked about um, password lists, and we talked about you know MFA being hacked, and we talked about what happened with Uber and 
Twilio. And, and today we talked about um, a couple of like Disney and some organizations. And I think what I wanted to point out was that we're not, you know, beating on those companies, right? That's, nobody's intention is to beat on those companies. What we are tending to do is like, what can we learn from these situations so that we can be better as I am practitioners and how can the industry get better, right? And so it's very unfortunate, I think, that these things happen to our um, our colleagues at other companies and that they're having to deal with this because, you know, I'm sure they're going through some discomfort and take the uber example i mean they weren't like they weren't like flagrantly like not doing their jobs by any means they just happened to be the target of this attack and i think the same thing with like you know the others that we talked about it's not that they were asleep at the wheel and even if they were it's like it's not when somebody's down like an organization's down we don't want to beat on them we just want to take away what what can we learn from it what about you jeff you don't want to be next. I think, uh, yeah, it's okay to get smarter. It also reminds me of sort of the old uh, InfoSec adage. There's two types of companies, those that have been breached and those that don't know it yet. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think those that, that kind of mindset of always making sure that you're playing, you know, the, the appropriate level of defense to the risk is, is important. But yeah, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week then. Uh, you can check us out on the web. We're at identityatthecenter.com. We're on Twitter at IDAC Podcast. I'll have a bunch of show links as well. Uh, on our brand new listen page that we rolled out a few weeks ago. We joined uh, the 2000s and put search on there. Um, I'll have a link to you, Kurt, on LinkedIn for people who have questions as, as along with a, ah, along with a, a link to Serby, C-E-R-B-Y.com, as well as that social media link. And of course, you can always connect with Jim and I on LinkedIn. We always love to, to engage. And if you've got ideas for, for future episodes or topics you'd like to see us cover, Hit us up on LinkedIn. We're always uh, willing to take that and, and incorporate that into a show in the future. Uh, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it for this week. Appreciate everyone for listening. And we'll talk with everyone in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and visit us on the web at identityatthecenter.com.